another episode of Indoor Voices where we bring in experts and kind of extract out of them uh, all the information that they have to give us about the indoor world. Today we have with us uh, Stephen Lee Young uh, with Contact. And like before, I'm going to jump right in. Stephen, for all those who will be listening, uh, can you tell me a little bit about what you do and what Contact Inc. does? Sure, absolutely. Um, Contact is a U.S.-based company um, located in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Um, we've grown from two people to a little bit over 800 people around the world now. And we do have manufacturing in North America, Asia, as well as Europe. Um, the vision of the owners was originally to make cleaning easier and more effective at a good value. And that's what's helped our company grow over the years. Um, the 800 people uh, make products that are found in the world's most critical environments. So you'll find contact products in pharmaceutical vaccine manufacturing plants, um, the semiconductor world, aerospace, uh, automotive, hospitals, as well as homes. So uh, we make cleaning products and we just try to make cleaning easier and more effective. Now, over the years, I've had a number of different roles with contact. I've worked in R&D, I've done product development, um, but really I've, I've enjoyed working in the marketplace a whole lot. And uh, these days, I spend a lot of time in the restoration industry, as well as in healthcare, training people on how to properly clean and disinfect. Thank you, Stephen. So Stephen's going to help us with kind of our topic today, which is trends in disinfection. Everything I know about disinfection comes from Stephen Leung. He's been a phenomenal help to me as uh, we've navigated the last year. So, so Stephen, as we get into the topic a little bit, can you give us a little bit of a glimpse of what your world looked like from February 2020 to, to now? Yes. Yeah, so um, over the past year, um, everyone's experienced a lot of change. You know, when the pandemic first hit, um, there was a run on disinfectants. I mean, people couldn't get enough of it. Um, people who had never used disinfectants before were buying it up and putting it to use. And I think after about three months, we saw supply catch up with demand. But as we entered into the summer, uh, people involved in education, uh, as well as a lot of offices, were trying to figure out how do we get our students or our workers back to work safely. And so um, the rush that had been started with disinfectant wipes actually seemed to pick up. And so uh, wipes have been in short supply pretty much uh, up through about now. And so uh, there's been that. And then of course, as people put uh, wipes and disinfectants to work, then there became a greater awareness of what are all these disinfectants doing to us? And um, there were some issues around overexposure. And so people started looking around and making some more decisions. And, and fortunately, there was greater availability of disinfectants. And so um, of course, I think all of us have uh, come face to face with pandemic fatigue. And so as, as the pandemic has uh, kind of progressed into the vaccination phase now, um, I think people are a little bit tired and really ready to go back to whatever normal was. And uh, I think um, as we move forward, um, the vaccination is gonna give us some flexibility that we didn't have even just a couple of months ago. That's awesome, that's awesome. So you know what we do at Millie Care Floor and Textile Care Explorers. So I'm going to pull you into my world for a second before we pilot back out to the disinfection industry at large. Can you comment on disinfecting floors, both kind of hard and soft surfaces? Yes. When it comes to disinfecting floors, I think um, people's 
mindset has morphed a little bit over the past few months. Um, floors were given a lot of attention because, of course, uh, floors get dirty. And when you look at a hard floor and the application of disinfectants onto that surface, um, a couple things come to mind. Most disinfectants are water-based and contain some surfactants. And surfactants are basically detergent. When you have water and detergent on a hard surface, that can be slippery when wet. So there was, of course, the concern about slipperiness when wet. And then, of course, uh, when surfactants dry, uh, if they're not cleaned off uh, with a rinse step, um, they can build up. And surfactants building up often yields a dry, sticky floor. So as people um, became a little bit more aware of uh, the vector of transmission uh, for SARS-CoV-2, the virus that uh, causes COVID-19, um, it, it became public knowledge that uh, the primary vector of transmission was really not involving the floors. And so I think we've come into an awareness that Clean floors are still very desirable. Uh, and for most of us, since we don't sit on the floor or eat off the floor, um, having a, a good looking floor is probably gonna be um, effective as part of uh, infection prevention or infection containment. And so um, there may be cases where applying a disinfectant to a floor still makes a lot of sense. Um, but in most cases, I don't really see uh, heavy disinfection, daily disinfection of um, most public floors a thing anymore. Um, you're still going to find that in hospital rooms, especially where there are isolation cases. But uh, the, the places that it was traditionally important, it's still important and uh, the public places, not so much so anymore. No, you're right. And I, and I like that you pulled in like, hey, people are trying to pay attention to that method of transmission. And so I've even gotten some very different questions lately. Um, one of those is that since we know that it's transmitted through like micron sized droplets in the air, there's very little, little risk that she'll contact it from touching the surface. So, so question for you, and it's kind of a big one. Have we been over disinfecting? And if so, or if we have, what, what can be or have been some of the consequences? That's a great question. And uh, certainly I think as uh, we've kind of walked through this last year, and gained a lot of knowledge. Um, everyone can remember back when uh, the pandemic was first very, very widely thought about and acted upon in the US. Um, equipment like foggers were sold out uh, for, for months and people were very concerned about fogging uh, for safety, fogging for health. And I think um, when, uh, again, the awareness came to be that uh, the primary transmission vectors not sitting on a couch and touching uh, the couch or um, a, a chair even uh, in a lunchroom as much, uh, not a primary transmission vector, uh, people started to back off of addressing those. So, you know, treating things like soft surfaces um, went from very important to not really as important. The high touch surfaces, however, um, still are important to treat. And so we see that. Um, you mentioned the airborne droplets being the primary vector. Um, so there's still a lot of concern around how do you minimize the transmission of those droplets. So we still see some attention given to masks. Um, there's still attention given to air circulation in, in closed spaces like airplanes. Um, you see filtration devices and people are still marketing uh, devices to address uh, the droplets in the air. No, that's awesome. And I appreciate that, Stephen. So, so some new technologies as well have come out, right? So I appreciate you helping us through, hey, what should we do with those surfaces? But apparently there's 
some technology, maybe it's a new spin on old technology when it comes to antiviral coating. So these coatings say they have kill claims for up to 90 days. Is that in our future? Uh, can you comment a little bit on that? I think the antiviral coatings uh, is a fascinating concept and that would really help to address uh, some big concerns, especially with the high touch surfaces. Um, we know that currently, if you have an untreated surface and somebody uh, with an illness, you know, be it the flu, the cold, or something else, if they have the infectious uh, materials like the viruses or, you know, virus-contaminated mucus on their hands, um, they touch a surface. If I touch a surface afterwards and then touch my face, uh, touch one of my mucous membranes, I can get that cold or flu or whatever it is. And so with that in mind, um, these antiviral coatings uh, could be wonderful. I've seen probably two primary technologies um, out in the marketplace. Um, one has to do with um, oxides that emit um, free radicals in the presence of moisture and UV light. For example, titanium dioxide, when it uh, is in moisture, humidity or, or water uh, and UV light, the titanium surface um, causes oxygen singlets and hydroxyl groups that can break down organic materials such as viruses or bacteria uh, membranes. I've seen another one uh, that I think maybe from a marketing perspective uh, has been illustrated as micro spikes that uh, will pop or um, attenuate uh, bacteria and viruses. Um, you know, the, the thing about these technologies is um, in the US at least, uh, the EPA regulates um, antimicrobial uh, materials, disinfectants and, and uh, uh, treatments. And so when a company has a product, they prove it to the EPA that it actually works and the EPA reviews uh, the technology and finds that it really does, the EPA grants a registration. I haven't seen a registration for either of these technologies yet, and it, it could be out there and I'm just ignorant of it. So if you're out there and you work for one of these companies, I'd love to see uh, the information because I want to be more knowledgeable and I want to be able to speak favorably about um, these technologies. So help me out if you would, please. No, that's great. I appreciate your humility there, Stephen. That's why I've pulled you into so many of my projects uh, for disinfectants. And I know we're doing a lot of speculation about the future, but listen, even me wanting to walk into a building is very, very different than previous to the pandemic. So given now that there is a vaccine, um, what changes do you foresee for the use of disinfectants? Well, if the vaccines are uh, as effective as they're projected to be, and if the virus doesn't mutate so that the vaccine uh, reduces in its effectiveness, I think what we'll see is a reduction in the use of disinfectants in many public venues. That's, I think, very reasonable, and I think it'd be suitable. Um, there are some places, however, that I think will sustain a higher than pre-pandemic uh, use level for disinfectants. And uh, those venues would include long-term care facilities, retirement homes, as some people call them, uh, as well as uh, doctor's offices. I think you're going to see enhanced levels of cleaning and disinfecting there. Okay, that's cool. That's cool to know that there's still going to be some presence. I see kind of a huge trend towards healthy workspace from, from books and certifications like WellBuilding and FitWell. How do disinfectants fit into that, you know, healthy indoor environment? Oh, I, I think that's a great question. And, um, you know, over the years, 
uh, I think the public has just become a lot more aware about uh, issues relating to sustainability. Um, many of us want to be good stewards of our resources, uh, you know, the earth. We want to take care of it because uh, we and our uh, descendants are going to live here. Uh, and so um, with that in mind, I think um, one of the things that uh, became popularized a few years ago uh, was the notion that botanical products are more sustainable. And that was definitely a step in the right direction based on where we were and uh, where we now are. But I think over um, the recent past, um, people who spend a lot of time thinking about sustainability have actually gone a level or two deeper. And so um, when you talk to people um, who ponder sustainability and how to uh, be a better steward of their resources, they look at things like um, energy consumption of a process, water consumption, the impact on oxygen and, and the depletion of oxygen. Uh, it's the carbon footprint of the whole supply chain. And so, you know, one of the interesting things that has come to light is that some of the botanical products uh, that have been marketed actually consume more energy and have a greater waste effluent than some of the, what people would term to be synthetically generated or made in a chemical plant versus a natural plant product. So um, sustainability is now um, a little bit more sophisticated. And I think that's actually a very constructive progression. No, that's cool. That's cool. So when it comes to the EPA and all of the different testing that they do, right? And we know disinfectants are there to kill microorganisms. I know they've got this designation called DFE or Design for the Environment. Can you explain what that designation means for disinfectants? Sure. Um, when it comes to disinfectants, um, the EPA has told manufacturers of disinfectants that we're not allowed to use the word safe. And that's because uh, in the EPA's perspective, anything that kills is inherently unsafe. Um, so that's, that's their perspective. And, and certainly the government has to uh, come up with definitions for common use and common understanding. And so if a disinfectant manufacturer is not allowed to say that their product is safe, um, how, how do we express um, the level of potential human impact or environmental impact a product has? they came up with this designation designed for the environment or uh, we abbreviate it as DFE. So what, what DFE is, is um, it's an assessment of all the raw materials, the ingredients that go into a disinfectant, as well as when you combine those um, raw materials uh, into a product, um, there may be a synergistic effect. And so the EPA looks at um, the impact of each raw material as well as the finished product uh, on the environment. And I think one of the things that's actually kind of interesting is that um, some of the botanical products that are out there uh, that are uh, marketed as uh, plant-based, they actually don't qualify for DFE um, designation. And so again, looking at uh, sustainability, looking a little bit uh, deeper than just did it come from a plant or not, uh, it's a very positive progression. So Stephen, thanks so much for kind of explaining that there's more to DFE than just the person, right? It, it, even though that's a major portion of it, the environment, the sustainability, how it's made is also a big deal. Um, and But there's also some things there that have already been in place. And I think the folks in the restoration industry kind of knew that before the pandemic because they pay really close attention to OSHA standards. So could you bring that into this conversation? What kind of OSHA standards can help us with maybe how disinfectants will be used going forward? 
Just in case you're not familiar with the acronym OSHA, OSHA stands for the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. It's a government agency that basically regulates anything to do with workplace safety. Um, so as you mentioned, um, with the restoration industry, a lot of your restoration technicians deal in situations where um, there can be something biological that's not safe. So whenever there's blood uh, or other potentially infectious material, um, it could be uh, blood lace vomit or an infectious um, uh, biological material. Um, and if it's a commercial work setting or somebody is uh, involved from work, OSHA cares. Um, so OSHA has this standard that they call their bloodborne pathogen standard, which very simply ensures that disinfectants meet a certain strength or efficacy. Um, they basically need to be able to neutralize the commonly encountered bloodborne pathogens. And so um, some of your products uh, that are available commercially do not meet this. And if you're in a workplace type of environment uh, where you're concerned with the safety of your workers, consider the OSHA bloodborne pathogen standard. You can find out a lot more on the internet. Awesome. So Steve, we're gonna pilot into your world a little bit more. Um, who is kind of your typical client? As you mentioned, um, you know, I, I work a lot with the restoration industry. And what's neat about the restoration industry is that um, there's a wide range of clients. Um, you have some restoration companies that are very big and they deal with large commercial losses. So for example, um, with this recent uh, polar vortex, um, you had some very large facilities experience burst pipes and, and water loss. There's some big companies out there that have teams that come in from all over the country uh, to whatever the local venue is that has experienced a weather uh, issue or incident. And uh, they start to work on uh, cleaning up uh, floodwaters. You've got small companies, local companies that specialize in, in helping businesses and people's homes. And so um, depending on the, the type of loss that's involved, what's neat about the restoration industry is there's a wide range of um, things that they work on, everything from carpet cleaning all the way up through uh, biological uh, hazards and forensic restoration. I also work um, a lot in the healthcare industry and long-term care facilities. And so um, now you're dealing with a building where uh, people who a lot of times are not well come in and they hope to, to see some uh, uh, restoration of their health there through uh, some of the professionals, or perhaps it's a long-term uh, residence uh, where uh, somebody who, who's retired and maybe needs a little bit of assistance uh, now goes to enjoy um, uh, the fruits of their labor from their life and uh, people help them out with uh, whatever uh, support that they need. No, that's awesome. And you, you told us a little bit about this already in your, in your answer. What are some of their concerns around disinfection? And then we double in, how are you meeting those needs too? Yeah, so um, when, when you look at um, the different situations, um, I find that it's a blend of uh, common factors. Um, people, of course, are looking for something that works to address whatever their health concern is. So if it's a pathogen uh, like mold, it's gotta kill mold. If it's an infectious uh, disease, they wanna know that it's gonna actually kill that. But um, you know, along with uh, something that kills a pathogen, um, you want it strong enough, but probably not too strong because something that's too strong can destroy the surface that is being treated and, and nobody wants their furniture uh, or equipment destroyed. 
Um, there are some user issues related to things like how does the product smell? Um, does it leave a residue that's unsightly or sticky? And then of course, uh, price is a big factor uh, whenever uh, people have to pay for something. Here we go. So as you said, many folks like to settle on like one disinfectant that suits their needs, but yet there are still varying approaches to disinfection that have emerged from our experiences over the past year. What would you say are some of the popular approaches to disinfecting my space? I think if um, there was an easy button in life, we'd all push it. And uh, in disinfectants, people are looking for that easy button as well. Um, one of the things I think we, we found over the last year is that um, regardless of uh, what equipment you use, um, there is a need for proper cleaning before disinfection. So that unfortunately is not easy because often it involves wiping a surface or brushing or, or rinsing a surface and that's just what it is. All that said, um, there are still a handful of personal preferences which people have to dial through. Uh, it could be the smell of a product, it could be the effect on a surface or um, does it leave a residue behind? But uh, you know, depending on what the needs of your specific uh, situation or space are, um, there are uh, processes that can be put in place to complete that disinfection. And so I think um, some of the more um, uh, common considerations I come across these days um, involve sustainability, as we spoke about a little bit earlier. People are wondering, what, what am I doing? Uh, and is it going to impact uh, the occupants of the building uh, as well as the environment? So it's a complicated answer. I, I know it's a, a little bit of a gloss over to your question, but Brian, I think it's, it really boils down to individual situation and individual preferences. All right, Stephen. So when it comes to maybe known cases for, versus um, proactive disinfection, are there differences in approaches there? I think so. And, and um, you know, this goes back to the risk assessment that's appropriate for that specific venue. Um, on a regular basis, um, especially now, we're treating uh, surfaces and environments as if uh, there's going to be a present uh, potential for infection. And so what that looks like uh, in an office environment may look a little bit different than a manufacturing or a healthcare or a home where you have a lot of visitors. So um, looking at, um, you know, what's your routine and um, potential for infection level uh, will determine how much or how little you feel like you need to clean. But when there has been a situation where somebody tests positive after visiting or you become aware of that, uh, that they weren't feeling well and just didn't wanna break the appointment uh, out of courtesy and attempt to, to be considerate, um, there are some things uh, that, that are still commonly done. Um, the first thing is, is uh, because uh, we understand that the primary vector for infection is airborne, um, if there's been uh, a, an area where uh, contamination from uh, you know, projectiles uh, of particles uh, that come from talking, you'll want to treat all of those areas. Um, if there are soft goods uh, that you feel like may have been contaminated, um, you treat the soft goods uh, as appropriate. In some cases, that means laundering. In other cases, that may mean sanitizing uh, or rinsing off. So uh, depending on the materials, that, that could be a whole course of study, actually. So um, I think you've got to look at uh, what's present there, how wide is the radius, um, how, how, how big an area, and what does that look like? So um, 
hard to go into more details without some specific uh, uh, situational um, details, but uh, that's a general approach. No, I appreciate that, Stephen. And I wanted to draw that out because I want folks to know that there are very different ways to just approach a situation. And I think you had mentioned it just from a, a risk standpoint. So with all those questions, you've taken us through a lot of the world of disinfection. I'm sure there's more to come in the future. But uh, Stephen, thank you so much for being on. Folks, thank you so much for, for watching. And um, uh, again, thank you, uh, Stephen, and we'll talk to you soon. Uh, thanks for in exploring the great indoors with us. You bet. Thank you. If you enjoyed this conversation, please rate and subscribe. This podcast is an audio-only version of the Indoor Voices interview series presented by Millicare Floor and Textile Care. You can watch the video of this interview and find other episodes at millicare.com slash indoor voices.